Hello, leaders, and welcome to Connections, the podcast. This is where we sit down with some of our friends and talk about how God wants to use us to lead the women in our community to be better women, mothers, and leaders. I'm Sherry Crandall. I'm the Vice President of Global Ministries and Leadership Experience for Mops International. And our guest today is my friend, Krista Gilbert. Krista lives in the Pacific Northwest with her husband, three boys, and one daughter. She also has an adorable lab puppy, and she loves to travel, but is really a homebody at heart. Cooking up a fabulous meal and breaking bread around her own table is her definition of happy. She finds people endlessly fascinating and loves to hear their stories. She shares her own story at kristagilbert.com and also through the Open Door Sisterhood at theopendoorsisterhood.com. This is where they encourage others to take the next step, do the hard things, and be world changers right where they are. So after that, welcome. Hello, Miss Krista. How are you, friend? Hi, Sherry Crandall. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I just adore you. And it's so fun to, when our you know times get to collide and we get to work on projects together. So I love something that you have really played out in your life. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. And it's this concept of saying yes, and not only just yes, but a wild yes, and being challenged and how maybe challenging ourselves help us grow in our faith and our leadership. So you did something a few years ago that kind of revolutionized how you started thinking about yourself, about where you show up in the world, about your leadership. So I just want you to tell us um, some background and, and share with us that story. Well, so that phrase is a really specific phrase and there is a story behind it. And so basically what happened was I was at a writer's conference and I met this woman Belinda Bowman, and, and I knew right away that she was a world shaker, world changer, and she was doing this um, journey to the Democratic Republic of Congo, and then she was going to meet with victims of sexual violence and in Congo, and then they were going to climb for women in the three most dangerous areas of the world, which are South Sudan, Congo, and Syria. So I said, hey, I love what you're doing and they were doing that on International Women's Day. And I said, I love what you're doing. I'll do a support spur climb here in the Northwest. And I'll gather some women. We'll raise some money. And we'll climb a, climb a ski hill, a local ski hill. So I, I leave the conference. I don't think twice about it. But I went ahead and sent, all my, sent my contact information and said, yes, I'm organizing this. And I'll be doing this on International Women's Day with you. Well, I get a message from her in December. And she says, hey, can we talk on the phone? And I thought, this is so weird that she wants to talk to me. I am like such small peanuts in this canister, you know, and like she's meeting with Under Armour, Christianity Today. Like, why does she want to talk about my spur climb up our ski hill? Like, it just felt super weird to me. Yeah. Well, when I talked to her, she's, you know, explaining all the things that had happened um, leading up to this part in their journey. And then says, Hey, Krista, so one of the climbers dropped out, and I really feel like you're supposed to take her place. Will you come on the climb with us? Wow. So at that moment, it sent me into a week of absolute turmoil and chaos. Honestly, it was probably the most gut-wrenching Garden of Gethsemane week. I, I mean, I, it is 
the hardest week I've ever had. Um, because I'm a mom of four kids, you know, I was just wrestling with God about, you know, why, why would you ask me to do this? I mean, if something happens to me, my kids will never forgive me for going or you, you know, God, that you sent me there. And, you know, just that wrestling as a mom of how much yeah. risk is too much. How do you know what's from God? What's not, you know, that discernment is so hard sometimes. And, so the day I was supposed to give her an answer, I sat down and I said, God, I am not leaving this couch until you give me an answer. And I still was undecided. Mm. And um, I was working through um, a book by Eugene Peterson, and it was a little devotional book, and it follows the Lectio Divina method of studying scripture. And that day, he, the exercise was to take something that you were holding that a worry, a care, a fear, and to just not give it to God, but actually just hold it before God and see what he has to say to you about that. So that's what I did. I just like took all, I mean, I was so burdened and I just took all of this stuff and I just held it there. I just kind of had it in my hands before God. And I really sensed, again, not an audible voice, but just sensed God through prayer saying, you are asking me right now in this moment to take care of all of these things, like all of these pieces. And I really sensed him saying, today, that's not what I'm asking you to do. Today, you are only to take one step and I will take care of that one step with you. And today is to say yes. And so I literally got up from the couch. I called Belinda and I said, Belinda, before I change my mind, I am giving you my wild yes. And that was the start um, of my journey on, again, that was for me a defining moment. I mean, it was the start of my journey with One Million Thumbprints into Congo and up Kilimanjaro. And my journey was, I mean, that was the very first baby step. There were millions of steps after that and very hard ones. But it changed something in me. And I think that is what is the most important. It isn't that I went and climbed Kilimanjaro. It's that uh, at that moment I surrendered and I actually took that leap of faith that for those of us who are moving in the world and trying to follow God and trying to follow his lead, at some point we will reach a crossroads. Each one of you MOPS leaders, you will reach a crossroads and we have a choice and we can choose fear or faith. Now, again, sometimes the answer is no. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying the answer is never no. Sometimes it is. But in my case, I really did sense God asking me to say yes. And what I was wrestling with that entire week was fear. And what was I going to choose or faith? And ultimately I landed on faith. And I can't tell you how glad that I am. Oh, I love that. I want to back up just a minute because I, I really want our listeners not to miss this. You said in this process that day, which what a divine appointment that was for you, is that instead of, you know, a lot of times we're told lay it at God's feet or, you know, don't worry about it. It's, it's all covered. And, and I believe those things are true, but you held on to it in his presence. And I, I just don't want to over look what you just said there, because I think what an amazing thing that you just did. It made you really more self-aware of what you were holding on to. And instead of realizing it was, it was really more about the fear and you gave all the reasons why, right? I'm a mom to four kids too. So I get that you do these 
crazy adventures and you're like, should I be doing this? I don't know. Is this from God? Is this my own desire? But you held it and then you really felt like you were going to just take the next step. And so often, I think, especially for leaders, we think we have to have it all figured out, right? Even if we give it to God, we still say, oh, but God, I need all of this planned out before I can give the yes. And when really, he just wants you to take that next step of trust and obedience. And so I I just wanted to make sure that we touched that because that's beautiful. You held it and then you took that baby step. So what was the next step? Because I think that was another step for you. Yeah, and then and then the hard work begins, right? Yeah. And for me, that was December, early December, and the climb was March eighth. And so I really only had three months to train. And so it's it's that whole thing of once we say that yes, then it's it's time to put our head down and get to the discipline, the responsibility part of doing our part. And trusting that God is leading and that he is there for us, but that we work in tandem with him. And then it's just doing our part. And I think part of the journey for me, because, you know, going is stepping across the border from, we had to fly into Rwanda because you don't fly into Congo. You could get shot down in the air. So we flew into Rwanda and then we drove to the border to cross the border into Congo. And that was a really huge moment for me to step into that soil. While we were there, there were some things that happened that that were scary and that were difficult. I mean, even just sitting with women and hearing their stories, it was beautiful and it was so hard. I was wrecked, absolutely wrecked because I was coming face to face with people who had experienced atrocities that I couldn't even, I honestly didn't have language for. It was so beyond anything I could assimilate from my experience that it, it really just stirred me in a way that, that I haven't ever been and haven't been since. I mean, it just was so hard. And yet again, it's, it's God's grace for the moment. It's God's grace in that moment that he will supply. And so... I think for me, that journey and, you know, then going to Kilimanjaro and again, um, I have heart problems and that was one of the, the cares that I was carrying as I was making the decision. I had no idea what would happen to my heart at almost 20,000 feet. That kind of altitude is, is insane. But the night before the summit, um, I was in my tent and because of the, I, my heart rate was at resting about 115. I mean, it was just... It, it was just going and um, altitude makes you not be able to sleep very well. But my tent mate was sleeping like a log, which I was <laughs> like, how is she sleeping? But, you know, my heart was racing and I couldn't fall asleep. And I got out all my letters that all my family had written me. And I got out my Bible and I was just spending some time just praying. And, and there was so much fear for me going up to the summit, not because physically I didn't think I could do it. I mean, I was a college athlete. You know, I'm somebody who just kind of puts my head down and, and does it. But I was really afraid of the altitude because I already was feeling um, like my heart was being impacted in a big way by the altitude. As I was in prayer, I had this image of being in, in a prison cell and that there's a key, but that God was showing me that I have the key. 
and that I control when I go into that prison of fear and, and when I come out, that I'm actually in control of that with that key. And so that night, I just did this, this exercise where I visualized walking out of the prison cell and throwing that key over the bridge. And I said, God, no matter what happens tomorrow with my heart, no matter what, I'm not going back in that prison cell. You are with me. I trust you. And no matter what that means, no matter what that means, I trust you. And so then, you know, we got up at I think 1130 and started summoning. And I actually felt so good all the way to the summit. But then when I got to the summit, long story short, but someone had set my oxygen wrong. And I ran out of oxygen at the summit and my heart just went nuts. And so it was as if there was a test in that moment of, of what I had, the agreement, the covenant I had made with God the night before. And in that moment, I literally just said, I'm not going back in. God, I trust you with whatever happens. And um, it just so happened those God orchestrated things where we had a nurse on our trip who was a marathon runner who trained at high altitude. She lived in Tahoe and she most of the way had not used her oxygen. So we were able to get, you know, her oxygen on me and um, my heart came down a little bit and I was able to, you know, go down to a better elevation and step by step by step by step by step. And it, I just, bald when I got back to base camp. I mean, I just sobbing, sobbing because God told me at the very beginning that step by step by step, he would walk with me. And he did. And he didn't show me the whole journey. He didn't make things all happy and, you know, like, oh, we're, this is just going to be a perfect time for you. No. I mean, it wasn't any of that. It actually was, you know, every step through Congo, every step on Kilimanjaro. And yet he was with me every step. And that to me was the biggest part of the journey was learning that he will be faithful to be in that step at that time. And he, his grace is sufficient for that. I don't have to be totally equipped. It's not probably going to turn out the way that I thought it would and it normally doesn't, but that's okay because God is with me. And, and that's something I've taken from that, that experience into my life in a really profound way now. I mean, we've recently just had another wild yes with our family. And I've taken that experience and I've trusted God more. And I think that's, you know, when we look at you know, Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12, and, and we kind of hold up all these heroes of the faith. We hold up Moses and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and, you know, just all of these heroes, but yet we look at them in hindsight. But if we can pull back and really say, okay, when Moses took the Israelites out of Egypt and he was running up against a literal vast body of water, that there was no way to cross and the Egyptians were hot on their tail. In that moment, I mean, think about what that would have felt like for him. We see that in retrospect, but in that moment, 
he, Moses had a choice, you know, would he choose faith? Because faith is only faith if we don't know the outcome. And I think that's where we often say, yes, God, we want to do things for you. We want to step out. But we want to step out knowing how the story is going to end. We want to step out with some guarantee that things are going to work out in the way that we would like them to work out. But then that's not really faith. Faith is only faith if we don't know the outcome and we don't know how it's going to work out. And yet we trust in God's faithfulness because that's what they did. They did what they did because they trusted the God who was leading them. That's the only reason they trusted in God's faithfulness. And because of that, we're able to step out. He enabled them and they trusted him to step out. And that's really what faith is. So it really has been a journey of faith for me. I love what you just said. You know, I think it's easy to say yes when we have assurance that the outcome will be good, right? So we're like, oh, I can say yes to that because I know this is going to work out and it's all going to be just rosy. But it's saying yes in the faith of not really knowing what that outcome was. And I can see how that was such a life-changing moment for you because you didn't know what you said yes to and how all those things would play out with your health, with the stories, with the people that you said, right, it just breaks your heart. That changed your life. Have you, you, do you think you're saying yes to other things that maybe you wouldn't have because that was the big wild yes? For sure. Yeah, I absolutely do. I think it grew my faith muscle. And I think that's what's really cool about when we start to say yes to things and we grow in our trust of God, then that enables us to do more things and to say more yeses in the way that we're not so scared anymore. When we look back on our lives, are we going to be glad that we gave in to fear? I, I'm not. I mean, that is not what I want to define my life. I want my life to be filled with yeses, to be filled with with the glory of God on earth. And I think that requires some risk on our part. And let me read you something that I just love from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mr. Beaver tells Susan that Aslan, the ruler of Narnia, is a great lion. Susan is surprised since she assumed that Aslan was a man. And she tells Mr. Beaver, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. She asks Mr. Beaver if Aslan is safe, to which Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. Mm. And I just love That's that so because, yeah. you know, it's just that whole concept that most of the time, the things that we say that we're struggling to say yes to don't feel safe to us. And that's what's keeping us. And yet, it, has that always, has that, is that really the goal is to be safe? Because I think that when we are stepping out beyond safe, when we're leaning into risk, that's when you can guarantee that you're really living. Yeah, I would agree with you. I, let's, let's have our audience think of it this way. You know, not everybody can probably train to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Maybe physically they can't do that. But let's look at that metaphorically. There's a lot of Mount Kilimanjaros in all of our lives, right? Uh, there are obstacles. We all have a heart condition, right? 
um, in a different way. And so how would you encourage leaders to say yes when they're not sure they have what it takes to climb their own Mount Kilimanjaro? That's great. So I love Donald Miller. He is the founder of StoryBrand and he you know, really how he began was he wrote a book called Blue Leg Jazz that was a New York Times bestseller and a movie production company came in and said, hey, we want to make a movie of this. And so they came to Portland, which where he was at the time, Oregon, and they met with them and they said, okay, tell us about your life. I mean, if we're going to make a movie, we need to know, you know, all these exciting things about your life. And so he's telling them about his life and he realizes that he doesn't have a lot of movie worthy things in his life because every good story, I mean, the movie producer said, we need some action. We need, you know, you know, I was an English teacher, right? There has to be, you know, this <laughs> intro and then you've got to come up, you know, to a climax and you've got to come back down. And, you know, there has to be like these five points to every good story. And what Donald Miller realized was that he was good at writing about his life and not so good at living a good story. And so in that process, he said, I need to change and I need to live a good story. And so he went down and he hiked the Inca Trail. He biked across America for a cause. He um, actually, he grew up fatherless. And so he eventually started a foundation for fatherless children. And he just decided, I'm going to start living a better story, that I want my life to actually be where someone could make a movie and actually have something to put on the screen. And so if, if it's hard for people or, or for you MOPS leaders to visualize maybe saying a wild yes, maybe that just feels too risky and that Kilimanjaro feels too big, maybe another way to frame it would be, I want to write a good story. And so how can I shape my story differently so that I have a good story to tell, that my life is a good story, is something that is worth telling about on some level. And whether that's just by my five-year-old son or by my church or by my community or by the world, that it would be a story that's worthy to tell. And again, we're not trying to earn God's approval. We're not trying to earn other people's approval. But I think it just gets to that heart of, I'm going to go ahead and say yes and do something outside of my comfort zone. And in doing so, I'm going to make a difference and tell a good story. And that's motivating to me. I have a philosophy, which was um, sort of shaped by uh, going through cancer. As you know, that that's something that I, I went through uh, about 14 years ago now. But I'm convinced of this. I think everyone leaves a legacy. It's up to you what that legacy is going to be. You can think of like where you want that to end because I had a lot of time where I was thinking about like, okay, girl, what if this is the end? So what would I want my legacy to be? And so I've thought a lot about that. And then I work backwards from there. And I think that's what you're telling us with write a story. Like you get the chance, you get to, you know, work and partner with God because he's already written your story. But I love how you um, encouraged us earlier to do our part in our telling of the story or being, you know, the, the main character in our own story, that we get to partner with him. Well, and Sherry, I think too, maybe if we look at it this way as well, that part of God's 
call to us is transformation, right? Yes. And maybe that it's not even the story that matters the most. Maybe it is the transformation that happens while we're saying yes to God that matters the most. And isn't that, I mean, for me, if nothing else happens, I am thankful that God is growing me and changing me in the process of my story. And so maybe even that helps us to think, well, it's not really about this end result, that, that this is how I want my story to go, or, or this is how I want my wild yes to go. But maybe if we can just focus on, I'm going to take step by step with God, and I'm going to trust that in this process, no matter what the outcome he is changing me from the inside out and he is making me something new and different and bigger and greater and more generous and more compassionate and more kind and more bold. You know, all of those things, he's doing that in me in the journey. And that alone, I think, is worth the risk. It is the process in which we are choosing to, to help write that story, right? And when we say yes, the most important yes would be saying yes to a relationship with Jesus that allows us to to say that yes and then that he is the writer and author of our story and what an encouragement because I think sometimes our leaders think it's all up to them to write the story and to say well my leadership is going to be up to me and all of these things but when we say yes to God um, if you hadn't said yes to the Kilimanjaro right you really were saying yes to God, not so much the climbing of the mountain, although that's an amazing story. Um, it was your willingness to say, yes, God, use me, use this story, mold me in a way that you want me to in the process. Mm-hmm. And love what you shared because I think then your life was never the same. Well, and I think there's so much about saying yes, that we have to overcome people being big and God being small. We have to switch that. God has to become big and people have to become small because actually when you start stepping out and saying wild yeses, you may get criticism. You may actually even get criticism for, I can't believe she's doing that. I mean, you can imagine what some people said about me going into con- into an active war zone. I mean, that was hard. And it was hard for, you know, my parents, for my, you know, even though they're so supportive of me, it's hard, right? To watch me say yes. And, and then other people just saying, she's playing crazy for doing that. And, and I, you really have to flip that to say like, God, I'm going to do what you're asking me to do. And I'm going to make people, I'm going to quiet those voices and really listen to yours. And, and that's hard. I mean, that's just a real, that's a, that's a real challenge when it comes to saying our wild yeses. Um, but I think, you know, if we look at, you know, the verse that says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I mean, that is, you know, there is a race marked out for each one of us. There is. And we have part of our discipline and our training is to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, and to leave our focus there 
and to allow that to be our guide and allow him to guide us to those places and then keep running our race, you know, whatever that is, just keep running. So tell me and share with our audience some uh, principles or ways that you go about being able to continue to say yes to things and even saying the wild yes. Like what have you put into practice in your life that gives you the space and gives you the ability to hear God's voice and say yes? You know, there really are some practical things. I think we're, when we're discerning a yes or we're in a wild yes season, there's some things that have really helped me. And one is staying rooted in the physical and out of my head too much. I think we can spin and spin and spin and think things to death. I don't know if you're like me. I mean, can you relate at all? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, literally we can just be in this really really not helpful pattern of just obsessing about a decision or obsessing about a certain thing. And so for me, it really helps me to stay rooted in the physical and whether that's I go out for a run, a hike, a snowshoe, or maybe it's just I go out and work in the garden or, um, but it's something physical, like I'm, I'm cooking, I'm doing something with my hands and my body, and I'm integrating that mind, body, soul, and that has really helped me, and it actually makes me a better thinker about whatever I'm obsessing about at the moment, and whatever that, that decision is, it makes me a clearer thinker when I am in the physical. Um, and then I would also say, um, during those seasons, I need to limit social media for myself, and that may be helpful for some other people. But I think um, I can use social media both as a distractor, so I don't think about something, or as it, it, it's comparison. And so then I think, well, look at what they're doing, and the thing that I'm going to do isn't even close to as cool as what they're doing, and I'm certainly not as equipped as she is, so why should I do it? So I think for me, I have to quiet social media when I'm in a season of a yes. Um, and then I would also say, make decisions in the light, not in the dark. And I mean that literally. Don't make your decisions at 3 a.m., at 1 a.m. <laughs> right. Those are really bad times to be making decisions. You're not thinking in your prefrontal cortex. I've learned a lot about neuroscience and about how our brain works. And when we're shooting from the amygdala, which is kind of that emotion-driven place, instead of the prefrontal cortex, which is, you know, that's where we do our reasoning and our deep thinking we don't make good decisions. And so obviously at 3 a.m., we are not in the prefrontal cortex. And so I think it's really important that we say, we literally say out loud and put those boundaries on ourselves. I'm not going to be making a decision right now. I'm not giving into this fear right now. I'm going to revisit this in the morning and on my run, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. that's, and that's really helpful. And then I would also say um, you want to avoid fear feeders. And what I mean by that is people who are going to feed the fear that you're already struggling with. Mm. So um, a fear feeder is just someone who doesn't help you overcome fear, but actually feeds it. And, and I think we have those people, maybe they're not even intentionally doing that, but maybe they would be so scared to do whatever you're thinking of doing that they can't overcome that in their own head. And so that doesn't, that's not helpful. Um, so just make, don't make that person your counsel. And then I would say the last thing is surround yourself with arm holders. And that comes from really Exodus 17, when the Israelites were encountering their first opposition while wandering in the desert. And um, 
they were fighting the Amalekites and Moses was up on a hill and he had Aaron and her on either side of him. And when, when Moses had his arms up, the Israelites were winning. And when he put his arms down, the Amalekites were winning. And so um, eventually he became so tired that Aaron and her held up his arms. And I would just say, when you're in a, when you're in the process of stepping out, you're going to need some arm holders. And so who is that for you? And how can you ask them to come alongside of you and kind of hold up your arms when you're really tired and, and struggling to do that? That was so good. Uh, you are a great arm holder, by the way. And oh, thank you, Sherry. So are you. So are you. It is such a, a joy to work with you. I've had the pleasure of being part of the Open Door Sisterhood. And I know our leaders loved hearing from you today. And I want to remind them that uh, they can hear more of your voice, which is fantastic, at KristaGilbert.com or over at the Open Door Sisterhood at TheOpendoorSisterhood.com. Thank you for saying your wild yeses, because I think you have shown up in the world in such a beautiful place and space to encourage us to do the same and to, to place God first and foremost, to link with him first. And then uh, you just gave us really practical advice today on how we can do that. So this has been so fun. I'm glad you said yes to coming on to the podcast, uh, but thanks for your wild yeses and how you are such a great example uh, that we can lean into and follow. So loved having you today, Krista. Thanks. Thank you so much, Sherry. And thank you, Mops Leaders, for doing what you do. It is such important work. And I am so grateful that you are on the front lines with moms. So thank you. Well, thank you all for listening in, leaders. And remember that very often the difference between surviving and thriving as a leader is just our own willingness to step up, learn something new, or do something different. So let's do those things together because this is our year to thrive.